0: I'm going to read for us, uh, we're going to continue in our series on the Lord's Prayer, and so I want to read our passage this Sunday, Is Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. I think I've got the right one. We had some talk about just which one to do. So we're going to do Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. If you have a Bible with you, you can follow along. This is Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain showing him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's just pray before we look at the the word this morning. Father, we thank you again for your goodness and for your faithfulness and your love towards us. Lord, we thank you that you are with us in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of trials in our lives. And we are aware this morning of this pandemic. Lord, again, we give it to you. We pray that you would give wisdom to all those that are seeking to give leadership to find a cure. Lord, for those that are in need today, we pray that your hand would be upon each one. And Lord, may you remind us this morning as we open your word of uh, your presence with us, that you are not distant from us, uh, that you are very near. We bless your name this morning, Jesus. Would you open our hearts, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. We're good? So far. Right on. So far, so good. So a little recap about the Lord's Prayer. We've been going through this series. I don't have my slide up, but that's okay. You'll remember, it begins by drawing our attention to who God is, making a point of saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, "'Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.'" So the first thing we do is is root ourselves, orient ourselves in who God is, that he is the Father, so there is a warmth and intimacy to our relationship with God, but he is also in heaven, hallowed be his name. He is transcendent above and beyond his creation and yet not apart. He is involved and cares about his creation. And then we talked about God's mission in the world, that God, the prayer is, our, your kingdom come on earth, come here as it is in heaven, that God's rule and reign would come to bear on his world. And that's necessary because of the fall of his creation, that things are not all well as they should be. And so we pray, Lord, would your presence and your purposes come to pass in our world, in your creation and Jesus invites us then to having remembered this is the God we serve and love and this is his mission in the world as we're rooted in that story as we become participants in that story of who God is and what he's doing then we pay attention to our own needs and how to live that out and so we pray give us this day our daily bread our physical sustenance We look to God for, we recognize this is a gift from him. I'm not self-sufficient as much as the world may like to emphasize that we can make things happen for ourselves. We actually look to God as the giver of life. And the second thing that we looked at last Sunday in terms of our needs, give us this day our daily bread. The second thing was uh, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's this sense in, in this prayer that Jesus is giving us that forgiveness is meant to be part of the way of life as a Christian. This is just central to what it means to follow, to follow Jesus, to live out the Christian life. And we talked a little bit last Sunday about the way in which we are willing to extend forgiveness to others is indicative of how much we have sort of internalized that God has forgiven us, or put another way, As we realize just how much God loves us, that he forgives us in our brokenness, and all the mess of life, as we come to a place of just receiving that and realizing with gratitude how much he loves us, it helps us then to be able to turn to those around us and love them and forgive them. As we uh, lean into Jesus and as we follow God, that character, his character, Starts to mold and shape us, and then is meant to spill out in how we interact with others. And so we become people who rely on God for His daily provision. We become people who uh, rely on Him for His forgiveness. We recognize our need to be forgiven, and we extend that to others. And so today, we are at Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's why we read this passage from Matthew 4. Jesus is telling us something really important. It's worth worth noting that as we seek to follow God, as we pursue the kingdom of God and live into that, as we let his story shape our lives and shape our thoughts and actions, as we look to God for the source of our provision, our daily bread, as we practice forgiveness, we can expect that there will be some resistance and temptation along the way. We can expect a measure, you can expect a measure of resistance to trying to follow Jesus. You can expect a measure of temptation from the enemy not to follow Jesus. And as you seek to follow him, as you give him your life, you will face hardship. Disciples will face hardship. So what does that mean? Does it mean that God sort of plans for me to enter into temptation, that he's sort of, you know, conniving little little sort of tricks or little ploys to kind of get me? Is it kind of this weird divine game? Uh, No, I would say. No, it's not that. In fact, I would say, the answer to how this works we should look to the life of jesus we should look at how temptation happens in jesus life to help us understand what this means help us unpack it so where is jesus led into temptation himself and delivered from evil or delivered from the evil one what test did he endure and i've already given it away as we've read it already but we are looking at the desert He's also tested, I mean, he's tested at multiple points, but this is kind of the big one at the beginning. He's tested again later at the garden, but I would say that is much more between Jesus and the Father than it is between Jesus and and Satan. Uh, But regardless, we have these intense moments in Jesus' life of of trial, of difficulty, where he is in prayer, where he is uh, leaning on the Father for help, and we get one, the the, the Bible uh, sort of emphasizes, this one at the beginning at the desert and one at the end in the garden, right before the crucifixion. But I want to focus on the desert. What do we know about Jesus' experience of temptation and how can we apply that to our lives? The first thing perhaps to note in Matthew 4, verse 1, is that, <laughs> this might seem uncomfortable, Jesus is led by the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the spirit of God actually propels Jesus into a season of testing. So there's this sense that God is allowing it. It has has a purpose and a place in Jesus' ministry. God allows circumstances in our lives that actually test us, that test our character, and I, I as I was thinking on this, I was thinking like how true is that for us right now in some ways, right? That as we are in this season, this period with this pandemic, um, it is a testing season in many ways. It is uh, your character, the, the issues in your life will probably bubble to the surface as you seek to navigate this. If there's anger, if there's frustration, if there's a, you know, that stuff will come out as our kind of daily lives are maybe upended, kind of what is just beneath the surface sort of comes to the foreground. We go, oh my goodness, I am actually dealing with my worry or I am dealing with frustration or I am, I am getting frustrated with people, with my family, what's that about? Oh my goodness, and that is sort of right there. And so God allows moments in our lives where our character, uh, that is often kind of tucked away, we don't often reflect on that, but it kind of comes to the surface and now we are dealing with it. We're recognizing our own brokenness perhaps. So I just wanted to ask, you know, how are you grappling with this season, uh, the self isolation? You know, what bubbles to the surface perhaps? But let's look at Jesus' life again. What exactly is being tested while he's in the desert? It's all about his loyalty and his allegiance to the Father. Does this difficulty in his life, the, the question is this, does it cause him to turn from God and focus only on himself, or will he remain faithful to his mission? So these temptations are sort of they're sort of diabolical attempts to subvert God's plan, God's plan for human redemption. And so testing Jesus, hoping Jesus will fall into sin will disqualify him from being a sinless savior. So that's what's on the line here. So the devil's temptation is all about Jesus' character. The first thing he tempts him with is uh, regarding the bread, the food, you must be hungry, Jesus. Why don't you use your divine power as God to transform the rocks into bread? It's kind of the question underneath that is, will you will you use your divinity to make life easier for yourself? Or will you truly be God with us in flesh, the human one, God among us? Or will you sort of cheat and and do something to make it easier for yourself? And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, my sustenance, as much as I'm hungry, is actually rooted in God and who he is. The second question, the the temptation that the devil opposes to Jesus, is he takes him up on the temple, uh, up up on the wall, the pinnacle of the temple. I think I read somewhere this is quite a high point. You know, this is life-threatening. And he says, why don't you throw yourself down and get your angels to catch you? And, uh, you know, it will be quite a display. People will see. They'll have to believe you're something, you're God. If you really pull that off, it will be quite a show. And, uh, you know, look at what you you will gain for yourself if you do this. And what Satan is doing here is actually He's actually manipulating Psalm 91 a little bit to say, why don't you put yourself in a dangerous circumstance and make God pull through for you by being negligent? Why don't you be supernaturally saved and gain followers based on the dramatics of this event instead of, and what's at stake, instead of the sacrifice on the cross? Jesus, why don't you make it about, you know, how many followers you can get based on this very dramatic moment instead of who will be willing to lay down their lives and come to the cross. The third question that, uh, and of course, Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do it. So Satan then takes him up to a very high mountain, Notice we're kind of going higher and higher as we go, right? Takes him to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, which is which is already, Jesus is already king, right, of these nations, and he will be, especially as he reconciles all things to himself through the cross and the resurrection. But here Satan is tempting him by to become the king by a false means. Right? He says, All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship. Me and the idea is, Jesus, you can be king without the cross, you don't have to endure the cross. And the last temptation then is to exchange Jesus' love and relationship with the Father for a worship of Satan. If Jesus resists all of these, how does he do it? He does it by standing firm on God's word, he knows the Bible well, and he knows when it's being misused when it's being misinterpreted, and that's really important. It's one thing to know the Word of God, to have a habit of being in it, of reading it, of praying it. It's another thing to uh, let it, you know, kind of seep in it in such a way that you almost gain this sense of this is not quite right how this might be used here. And I think it's you know it's worth noting the devil is tempting. Jesus by manipulating God's Word. It's something that sounds truthful when taken out of context. And we need to be wary of that as well, to not just pull an idea or a verse out of the Bible and say, well, the Bible says this. That's actually what Satan does here. So we need to be a little bit cautious. But to say instead, well, what is the overall message? Right? I can pull a verse out and make it say something contrary to the overall theme and message of the bible and jesus knows the word well enough to catch that and there's a, an encouragement for us as well to not just read the bible to read the bible's sake but to let it uh you know to soak in it to let it so permeate our hearts and our lives and to depend on the guidance of the holy spirit that when we encounter things that maybe seem good um but are just a twist on the truth, we can, you know, by the grace of God, kind of go, something smells off about that. And with, you know, the good help of others, navigate those issues. What's interesting is, is Jesus here in the wilderness is almost like he's reenacting Israel's story, Israel's wilderness wanderings, right? And he quotes to, um, to the temptations of Satan. He's quoting Deuteronomy back. To him, which is so fitting, as Israel, right? Deuteronomy would be just fresh in their minds at that time. And so Jesus is setting overall, the point is this: Jesus is setting an example that when we face temptation, because we will, it is important for us to know the word of God, to have a habit of living in the word of God, so that when temptation comes, we are quick to respond. And to know the truth, to be able to kind of discern what's true and what's not. Jesus is tempted in how he will bring about the kingdom. Will it be through power and dominance and manipulating people's uh, expectations? Or will it be through an act of self-sacrificial love for his enemies and for sinners, for you and me? And that gets right to the heart of God, right to the message of the cross that God is willing to endure an intense hardship, the greatest hardship, to come and to rescue you and me from our sin and welcome us into eternal life. And he calls all of us who follow him to repent and believe. That means to turn away from our sin and put our faith in him to become adopted into God's family. And that is the gift of salvation that He offers to all of us, Uh, even this morning, that we can uh, lay aside our sin, lay aside our brokenness, repent of it, means to put it away, to turn from it, and to put our faith in Jesus and to walk in Him, to receive His salvation, to receive new life. So, Jesus' 40 days in in the desert are pretty bad, they're pretty rough. Uh, Does he remain faithful? Yes. And Jesus knows that as his followers, as we seek to follow him, we too will face difficulty. And like Jesus does later in the garden, we may genuinely say, I don't really want to go through this. (laughs) Right? Jesus' words in the garden are, please take this from me. Father, if there is a way that I don't have to die to accomplish this mission, Let's do it. But in the end, Jesus comes to a place of surrender. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so there may be moments in our lives where we genuinely, like Jesus, want to say, Lord, it would be great if we did not have to endure this right now. Um, But the question then is, well, are we going to turn away from God if he doesn't? Answer the way we might hope, or will we trust in Him and cling to Him and His faithfulness and His goodness, um, knowing that even in the midst of a very difficult season, He has our best interests in mind, our eternity in mind, and so this moment may be very difficult, but God sees the bigger picture, and are we willing to surrender? Uh, our self-interest and uh, trust him to follow him um, he asked god not to lead him to the test this is jesus but also leans on god's wisdom and leans on his grace that if i if i do need to go through this then lord help me deliver me help me to resist the temptation not to follow you and so the evil in the desert. Uh, is a temptation that Jesus faces to question God's goodness. And Jesus rejects the temptation. He trusts that God will provide daily bread and life, and that if the Father is going to lead him into a trial, that the Father will also deliver him out of it. And I think, again, Jesus is telling us that every day we need to be reminded that following Jesus can be really hard there are moments that are very difficult tests will come our way and we do well to remind ourselves that the the temptations and the tests are not signs that god has abandoned us rather they are signs that god is with us and that he will deliver us in some way and for many That has meant, at various points throughout the history of the church, has meant being willing to lay down our lives, just as Jesus did, for the love of others. Now the word here for tempted by the devil or temptation, sometimes it can mean testing, sometimes it can mean temptation. There's an important distinction, I think. James 1, 13 tells us God does not directly tempt believers. He says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now that said, God does allow situations that test us. 1 Peter 4.12 is all about suffering as a Christian. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange has happened to you. Right? Peter's emphasis is this will come, this will happen. And we need to be reminded that this is kind of part and parcel of following Jesus. There is temptation, there is difficulty. The key question is how do we respond? How will you respond when you are tested, when you are being tempted? Look at what James 1 uh, verse 2 says. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I'll tell you right now, uh, joy is not the first attribute on my mind when I face difficulty. This is not sort of the natural inclination is to go, oh, wonderful. It's, you know, the bottom's falling out of this thing. But James says, count it joy, and why? Look at verse three, James one, three. He says, for you know, The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there's this understanding that testing and trial happens in my life. Uh, God uses them to hone us, to shape us, to produce in us a steadfastness in Christ. It shapes my character. They're part of my. It's part of my spiritual formation. Part of my discipleship. Uh, we don't pray to be brought into those situations, uh, and we should pray that we don't get into the temptation to sin when those come. Because the reality is, when when I am down because of issues in my life or trials in my life, when I am discouraged, perhaps because of what might be happening in life. Um, There is a temptation to go to sin, to head into behavior or words or actions that do not glorify God. And so sometimes in the moment of testing, of trial, there is temptations that will come. And we are responsible when the temptation arises to combat it, to resist it, And I want to say, it's really important that we are, you know, we are responsible for our own actions. We can't blame God for our behavior. We can't, you know, sort of pin our sin on Satan and say, well, the devil made me do it. No, no. There is opportunity before us, but we are free agents. We get to decide how we will live, what our behavior will be. And that is the test that happens to Jesus in In the desert, how will he live? How will he be? Will he follow God or follow the enemy? Here's the important thing for us to remember, because so far this could sound really discouraging. Testing comes, it's just part of Christian life. Temptation comes, and it's pretty rough, right? Um, And God uses this to shape my character. Okay, great, great, great. But there's an important promise for us to remember along the way And that is, in moments of temptation, in the darkness, God always provides a way of escape from the temptation. And I want to read 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is a really important verse. Uh, I would commend this to you to memorize. This is a good verse to have on hand when you face a temptation. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. I don't know if there's kind of a weird backwards encouragement in that almost. Like, like if it's a really bad temptation, I some, you know, that's a mark of my, I don't know. (laughs) I wouldn't read into that too far, right? He won't let us be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The point is this, uh, whatever temptation we face, God provides a way of escape. There is never going to come in our lives a temptation that's so overwhelmingly powerful we can't help but give in. We always have the choice. Just as Jesus has the choice to turn the rocks into bread or to throw himself off the temple, in a big display of grandiose power or to fall down and worship Satan. Jesus has the choice at each of those moments and chooses to engage them as a human. Not to use his divine power to somehow uh, you know make it not quite as bad as it is right? He does not go there. And we have the same thing. I was reminded of, of, of Joseph facing the sexual temptation of, of Potiphar's wife And literally, the way of escape was literally physically to run off, right? It's literally get out of there, get out of the place and the situation of temptation. It may not be that in your life, though sometimes it might be to be faced with a situation and you need to get yourself out of there. So while, folks, while difficulty happens, while trials happen, it's not a license to sin. But when it comes, when we are tempted, we're called to be steadfast and uh, to embrace Jesus. And this is why we can pray, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil, sometimes translated, deliver us from the evil one. But whichever it is, uh, Lord, we cling to you, we look to you in the midst of this difficulty and we trust in you, Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7 and 8. Says this, and this is a good verse for us to, to be reminded of during this time. First Peter 5, 7 and 8 says, casting all your anxieties on him. Some of us may need to make a practice of doing that, especially during this time if you're feeling anxious about what's going on. Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Why can you do that? Because he cares for you because of God's faithful character. Then it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Cast our anxieties on God. This is part of humbling ourselves. Uh, sometimes worrying can be a form of pride because we are unwilling to give it, off, give it to God, our worries. We just kind of keep it to ourselves and those things sort of eat us up from inside out by giving my worries over to God to trust him. And in the same way, be sober-minded, be watchful. There's a call here to spiritual vigilance, to watch out for the enemy's attacks, that we have an opponent that does seek to destroy us. And so don't be terrified by the hardship or deceived by it and given to sin, but to have the assurance that we are held in Jesus. So we don't fear the devil, but we do resist him and we stand firm in our faith. And the key here is that suffering is not the final word in our story. There is a season where these things occur and happen, but we know we have hope in God's faithfulness that He will deliver and He will set things to right. And we can take courage that we're not alone. First Peter 5:10 puts it this way. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Don't know about you, but there are days where I could use some restoring, confirming, strengthening, and establishing. And so we look to God, who provides for us during difficulty and to his promise that he will look after us. The best protection against sin and against temptation during trials is to turn to God, to depend on his his care, his goodness, and to pray that he will lead us into paths of righteousness. So we can trust folks that trials will come uh, they'll continue to come. Jesus says, expect some resistance as you seek to live out your Christian life. But know that as this happens, you can trust God. You can rest in him. And you can always resist temptation when it comes. We live in particularly sort of troubled time. This uh, pandemic is is new to me. I've never seen anything like this, and I know probably none of you have anything quite like this. Um, I, I made a video on, I think it was on Friday, Thursday, with a, a quote from C.S. Lewis, and Lewis's point is uh, that even when we face the challenges of our time, first he says, let's not get overly consumed as though this time is so much worse than other times. He says, "It's already." Remaining human, doing the basic human things, praying, looking after our kids, planting gardens, (laughs) uh, uh, caring for our neighbors. Let's continue to be human. And that's an important encouragement for us. We need to remember, even as we self-isolate and do the social distancing and all of that, to remain human, to love each other, to be present to each other. So we live in troubled times, but I would say, Connect. There we go. We're back. Yeah. Yep. Apparently we're back. <laughs> there we go. This this was brought up to me uh, this week. In the past twelve months, Australia, as we know, endured a terrible drought and fire. And the yeah. Australia Bureau of Meteorology said it's one of the worst on record. On March 10th, I saw that the BBC reported hundreds of billions of locusts swarming East Africa, calling it the worst infestation in the last 25 years. And today, our world grapples with this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. What's God saying in our time? What is God saying in our time? And uh, if you look over at Second Chronicles 7, 11-14, I want to read this for us today. Starting, well, let's start in verse 12, 12 to 14. This is a conversation between Solomon and God. Solomon's just finished the, uh, the temple and his house. And it says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and i have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice when I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. When the rain ceases, when the locusts devour, when the sickness spreads, we are called to humility, to pray, to seek the face of God, to undergo a reorientation of the heart, to turn from our wicked ways, to repent, and to pray, to seek God's face. God at times allows trials to occur because he is yearning for us to repent of sin and to turn to him his desires that none would perish but all come into everlasting life in relationship with him through Jesus Christ and so the trials in our lives have the opportunity to call us and i would encourage you to make a practice this season to repent to be humble to trust in god to turn from evil and to hear god's promises that he will bring healing and he will forgive us and so today folks as we close this part of our service we're going to take a time of prayer uh, in a moment lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil and i feel like in this season god is calling us to repent to turn our hearts to him, to be in prayer, and to seek his face. So let's do that. Let's seek the face of God. Let's resist the devil. Let's cling to him. And let's join together in prayer.